Good morning, Capital City Church. It is so good to be with you. My name is Pastor Jacob, and we are just honored to to be a part of your Sunday morning. And so before we get started with worship, we do have a a few brief announcements. And so first off, I want to let you know that this Saturday, this Saturday, um, we are having a work day. It starts at 9 a.m. It's January 14th, and there's a sign-up sheet. And so if you want to be involved in helping to clean up and organize some things in the church and be a part of that, it's a great way to get connected and take ownership of being part of the church. And that's really something that we all need to to play an active role in. Um, I saw something today that I absolutely loved. I walked up, I greeted someone this morning, I said, good morning, how are you? It's good to see you. And, And she had in her hand her phone. And in her other hand, she had the bulletin, and she was marking off all the areas where she could serve and do things in the church and matching it up with her calendar. And so if you all grab a bulletin and you all grab your phone and you all get things on the calendar, you can be a bigger part of the church. And so I saw that. I said, I'm using that as an illustration. And so we want to encourage people to to be a part of the church. Um, Also, um, if you are not receiving emails from the church. Uh, All you have to do is get with Amber um, by emailing her at info, info at capcitychurch.live, info at capcitychurch.live, and we will begin sending out weekly emails to keep you updated on everything that's going on. Um, So that's another great way to stay connected, and so if you have questions, you can either um, grab Amber, but most importantly, the easiest thing to do is info at capcitychurch.live, and we will get you on those weekly emails. Uh, finally, last announcement. We are having yet another baptism. There we go. Good, good, good. And so we're having another baptism, and so uh, it is January 22nd. And so if you want to be a part of baptism on January 22nd, please feel free to stop, see me. We would love to engage you, explain to you what baptism is all about, talk to you a little bit. Um, But it is a great step of faith. And uh, according to what scripture says, all believers should partake in baptism. And so if you haven't yet, uh, we want to help you do that. All right. Uh, Stand with us, if you will. We got a great time of worship today. But remember that the reason we come is not merely to receive, although we do receive something. What we really do is we come to give worship to an almighty God. And so we're going to ask you to do that now, all right? I'm going to pray with you, and then we're going to open with worship. Dear Lord God, as we come to you today, may our hearts be filled with you. Lord God, may we realize that there is nothing in this life worth anything apart from you. And so may we find joy and peace in knowing you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alone, my hope is found. 
storm surrounding me, let it break at your name still. Call the sea to still, the rage in me to still every wave at your name. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, breathe, call these lungs to live. Call these lungs to sing once again. I will praise Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear. Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. Your name is alive that the shadows can't deny. shadows can't deny your name cannot be overcome your name is alive forever lifted high your name cannot be overcome your name is alive that the shadows can't deny your name
Luke chapter 7, there was a centurion who had a slave that was in bad shape. And he was going to invite Jesus into his house, but he didn't feel like he was worthy to have him under his roof. But the centurion, the centurion said that, I know Jesus, just like I have people that come underneath of me that go and come and do what I would have them to do. I know that if I have that authority, you have a greater authority. We just sang a song about how Jesus makes the darkness tremble and how he silences fear. And I was in a conversation with somebody a couple weeks ago, and they were talking about what their relationship with God looked like. And they were talking about spiritual warfare, and they were talking about overcoming the enemy. And they said, I just love doing those things to fight against or vanquish the enemy. And I said, what are you talking about? I don't fight fights that have already been won. Church, we spend way too much trying to fight a battle that Jesus has already secured. I can't imagine us watching a sporting event where one team won and the other team came back on the field and said, hey, hey, we're still playing. The game's over. The game is over. Jesus is victorious, and in his name, we can claim the power that he has through the authority of the work on the cross. Church, we're, we're selling ourselves short. We're allowing ourselves to live in a defeated state when we are to claim the name of Jesus in every situation. This morning as we pray, I, I believe that there's some places where God hasn't given us the authority that we think we should have because we haven't truly recognized him as the authority over all things. If you still think that you should be in a higher position or have more recognition, you haven't received the message of the cross. All authority starts with submission. All authority starts with submission. I want you to have the authority of the name of Jesus everywhere you go to cast out demons, to do the will of God, to see people healed, to see people come to repentance. But it starts with submission. And as we talk about starting this year off in prayer, it's a great place to start to just come and say, Lord, I submit myself before you. I want to be surrendered to your complete lordship in my life in every area. So I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to invite you to come and pray as we worship and sing this last song. I don't do this a lot in the way of special requests, but I, I got a text from Cindy this morning. And they're headed back into the back into the hospital this morning, Cindy and Malcolm are. Most of you know who that is. And if you don't, you can just pray for Malcolm and Cindy White. They're having a rough morning. And we love them and we want to continue to lift them up. Father, we, we thank you this morning that you've been so good to us. We thank you, Lord, that because of the work on the cross, because of the resurrection power that, that came through on that, on that Easter morning, Lord, we believe that there is authority and that we would receive that authority only as we fully submit our lives to you. Lord, when we would get over ourselves, when we would get over all the things that we think we deserve and humbly bow before you so that we could receive all that you have for us. Lord, we lift up Malcolm and Cindy this morning. We believe in the name of Jesus. We claim the authoritative name of Jesus this morning over their lives and believe that if it be your will, that you can cause healing to come. And we know that you'll do it if we only ask. And so, Lord, we continue to ask for Malcolm's health and for Cindy's courage, Lord, in this difficult time. Now, Lord, I pray that you would help us be obedient during this time of prayer, that those who would need to come and surrender their lives to you, Lord, those who would need to come and confess sin, those who just need some help this week and want to cry out to Jesus, that they would do so as we continue to worship in Jesus' name.
So my life, you have been faithful. Come on, sing. It is a pleasure to be with you all today. Um, we are starting a new sermon series today, and uh, I'm going to be honest, I, I, I normally like preaching really feel-good messages, and uh, this is going to be a little bit more reflective. Um, it's going to be a little bit more focused, but we're, we're creating a sermon series titled Rest. Um, how many of you would say you get good rest? Very few people. If you have a toddler or if you have a newborn, uh, that that escapes you and eludes you. Um, But here's the big thing that we really have to understand about rest is uh, it has to be intentional. Like you have to work to rest. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but you have to be somewhat intentional. Um, and so for me, when I think about rest, there's, there's one thing that I've thought about lately, and people have asked, I've had like a dozen people ask me, like, Jacob, are you going to use the chair? Well, yeah, I didn't just put it up here to like, stylistically, right? Um, and so we're going to use the chair, and, and so I don't know about you, but like my dad always had a recliner, and when I first got married, Kaylee didn't really like the look of recliners. We could never fit one that like, fit our living room. And so we, we bought a new couch, and we, I finally talked her into a recliner. And I'm so glad I did, because I love recliners. And, and so my, my thing about rest is what I view as rest is I come home after working all day, and my son Israel, who's about to, looks at me, and he points at my recliner, and he says, Daddy. And then he'll grab my, my finger, and he'll pull me over to the recliner, and he'll sit me down in the recliner. And then he walks over, and my recliner has, like, one of the handles, and, and so the footrest kicks up. And he gets a big kick out of that. He thinks he's big stuff. And then he uses the recliner foot handle to, as a step to climb up onto my lap. And then he points at my shoes as if to say, take them off and stay a while. And then lately, this is what he's been doing, and I love it. Lately, he's been grabbing the remote, handing it to me. And then he'll, he'll strum his belly like this. Because we've been watching worship music, 
and he loves the guitar players in like Elevation and all the different worship videos, and his favorite is Lion. And so he'll sit there, and we'll turn on worship music, and he'll start singing, and he'll be sitting on my lap. And that's rest to me. But in those moments as I'm sitting there with my son, I press pause and I reflect for a moment. And I said, Lord, am I doing it right? Am I doing right by my wife? Am I doing right by my son? Am I doing right by my my children? You know, we all ask those questions, right? Am I working too hard? Am I not working enough? Am I home too much? Am I not home enough? And, and we go back and forth. And really, it's the wrestling with those thoughts that don't allow us to rest. And so what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to give you different antidotes, biblical antidotes for what rest really means. But the first of those is to reflect. The first of those is to reflect. And this is the hard one because, to be honest, most of us don't really like to reflect because then we have to be left alone with our thoughts. And most of us would rather be anywhere but inside our heads. Am I right? Rest is something that often eludes us. If we could manage to find rest, we would take time to slow down and reflect on our lives and ask the big question. What is the meaning of life? You ever ask that question? Often as I sit holding my little boy, I think to myself just that, Lord, what should I be doing? And he usually says, you should just be enjoying your boy. I know, Lord, but I want to make sure I'm doing it right. My boy will only be little for a while, and so in those moments I press pause and I reflect and I ask the Lord to show me what is really important. Have you ever done that? Maybe, maybe you've never done that, and I would encourage you as a believer, or maybe even if you don't profess Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd really encourage you to go, why am I here? Like, you're here for a reason. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. Socrates said that an unexamined life isn't worth living. You need to press pause every once in a while. And I know that's hard, and I'm speaking from a, from a young parent perspective. I have a daughter who's six, which has gone on like 30. I, I don't understand that. I've always heard people say it, but it's a whole different thing when you're living it. And then I have a two-year-old boy who is all boy. And so my life is very fast-moving. But we, we have to find time. When Pastor Jonathan asked me to open up on the sermon uh, of rest, I, the first thing that came to mind was reflection. You have to reflect before you can really rest. So I began to reflect on the past year of my life. I thought about the success and the failure. I thought about the hard work and the lazy days. I thought about wealth and poverty. I thought about life and death. I thought about righteousness, and I thought about sin. I, like many of you, have experienced success and failure. Do you, you experience some success and failure? Like, if you look over the last year, you probably had a little bit of success, and maybe you had a little bit of failure. They always seem to come hand in hand, right? You always have one, but you never, you always one or the other. Oftentimes, though, we, we may have a habit of stewing too long on the failures. There have been days where I've worked extremely hard, and there have been days where I ask myself, am I being a little too lazy? I have spent, and I have saved my money. I have witness new life and the cruelty of death 
and all the sickness that goes between. Man, I feel like some of us really feel that deep in our soul. I thought about the righteous, and I wondered why sinners always seem to get ahead. This is what I have concluded. None of it makes sense. It's all very confusing, and if you read through the Psalms, if you read through the Proverbs, if you read through Ecclesiastes, you read about accounts of where people just struggle with the mortality of life and and the ups and downs and the successes and the failures, and they just really can't find closure in all of it. So I did what every good American does. Hey, Siri. What's the meaning of life? This is what Siri had to say. Nobody really knows But I'd say anything that involves smiling is probably a good place to start. I know a lot of times that I've smiled and it hasn't been necessarily over good things, right? Like none of us would like to admit it, but we've laughed at things that we probably should not have laughed at, right? Like, so I don't think Siri's on the right page here. But she is on, I think it's nobody really knows. I stumped her. When that didn't work, I did what every other good American does. I Googled it. What is the meaning of life? Uh, Google was very helpful because it gave me a lot of philosophical views on what life is. And so I'll read some of these. These are the top seven philosophical views of the world or America. And some of them you might recognize. Some of them you may not recognize or you may recognize what they are, but you didn't know that's what they were called. Modern humanism. Act in self-interest and common good. Well, that doesn't really make sense. Because what if common good and self-interest collide? One has to be picked over the other. Either you will choose the common good over your own self-interest or you will choose your self-interest over the common good. And so that, that doesn't really make sense. Liberalism, defend individual liberty. Nihilism, do as you wish, life has no meaning. Well, that's encouraging. Thank you. Uh, Epicureanism, free yourself from pain. Boy, America, we nailed this one on the head. And you might say, I don't even know how to say Epicureanism. But listen to what it says. It says, free yourself from pain. We are the most over-medicated society in the world. If anything, we probably practice this more than any other religion or philosophical view. We just don't want pain. I'm just going to break it to you. Life is painful. And it only gets more painful from what I hear. I got way too many amens on that. Here's one. Hedonism. Have pleasure now. Once again, makes a lot of sense for America, uh, since America is obsessed with sex, sex and pleasure. So that makes sense. Taoism, follow the way. Taoism, follow the way, but no one can tell you what the way is. So for all you Mandalorian fans, this is the way. We just don't know what the way is. Luckily... We as Christians know the way. 
And that is boiled down into what we call theism, following God's will. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's some quotes on the meaning of life. Quotes on the meaning of life. Don't take life too serious because you won't get out alive. Albert Hubbard. Man is born to live, to suffer, and to die. And what befalls him is a tragic lot. There is no denying this is the final end. But we must deny it all, the long, all along the way. Thomas Wolfe. Here's my favorite. I tried so hard and got so far, but in the end it didn't even matter. I had to fall to lose it all, but in the end it doesn't even matter. Lincoln Park. The wisest person who ever lived, King Solomon, he, he got to the end of his life. He had experienced everything. He was wealthy. He had a thousand wives and concubines, which may be good or bad, I don't know. But one thing's to say, he never denied himself pleasure. He drank of the finest wines. He had riches untold. He had power. He had castles and kingdoms. And everything that a man could possibly indulge in and experience, he experienced. It says that he was the wise. Here's the one thing Google got right. I said, Google, who's the wisest person who ever lived? And it said, King Solomon. So uh, let's just kind of look on some logic here. If he's the wisest person to ever live, then what he wrote might be worth reading. And so he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is what he concluded. Life is meaningless. Ecclesiastes 1, 2 through 10 says this. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and turns north, around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, hey, here's a new idea. But actually it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. I know that's not the encouraging word that you want to hear from the first sermon of the new year, but we're going somewhere with this. In rest, we reflect, but we don't rest because we fear reflection. In reflection, we see the futility of life. We don't heal our fears, and we don't heal our depression and anxiety. We run from it. We run from it. We medicate it. We pleasure it. We throw money at it. We outwork it, or we work it out. We silence it in the crowd of friends, family, and dare I say, church. 
We do everything we can to stay busy, and we say that we're doing it because we're hard workers. The reality is we don't want to rest, because rest means we'll have to take time to reflect. And the last place we want to be is inside our heads. Because it's a scary place for some of us. But he says that life is meaningless. And and I know for some of you, you you think, Jacob, that's really not what I want to hear right now. But if I'm really going to get you to the truth, I need to take you down to the bottom. Because I talked to a young man this week. And he told me all his plans, and he had all these ideas, and I, he had all these solutions for how he was taking care of himself. And I thought to myself, yeah, I've been there too. I thought I had it all figured out. And so I'd try something new, and I'd try to cover it up. I'd try to outwork it. I'd try to work it out. I'd try to medicate it, and nothing seems to work. And no matter how young or how old you are, sooner or later you will come to the end, and you'll say, I don't have it figured out. It doesn't make sense. I'm confused. I'm broken. And nothing is solving the problem. And so we have to come to the end of ourselves. We have to understand that that this life, if we just go about the routine of daily life, it's meaningless. So we have to find meaning somewhere. The next thing we find, and this is a painful one, Death comes for us all. Death comes for us all. This is a good one. The average lifespan of a male born in America today. So if you're born today, the average lifespan, we'll say my son, his average lifespan will be 74.5 years. This means that within the next year and a half, I should be having my midlife crisis. Yeah, I've actually already planned it. I told Kaylee, I said, I'm planning out my midlife crisis. It should be a good one, so you should be prepared. I think we should plan things. Oh, the average lifespan of a woman born today in America is 80.2 years. Let me say this. If you're over that age, you're in the bonus round. Good job. If you're under that age, I'd say this. What are you doing? What are you doing? And and I don't mean what are you doing. I mean what are you doing that matters? Because we are built and created to do something that matters. You were created to do something that matters. I say this not to scare you, but that we might reflect on life and ask what truly matters. What matters in the here and now and what matters in eternity? Many of us give thought to the here and now, but few of us give thought to eternity. My, my daughter, Lavender, was asking a lot of questions, and we were having a discussion about life and death. Heavy conversations for a six-year-old. And so we get done with the conversation, and she concludes this. All right, Dad, so you're going to die first. I said, what? She goes, yeah, it makes perfect sense. You're older, you die first, and then Mom dies, and then I die And then brother dies. And I thought to myself, if only it were that simple. But we all know that we've seen people taken before their time. And it breaks our hearts and it hurts us. And a parent should never have to watch their child die. And yet, 
we witness such things. Ecclesiastes 2.16 says this, For the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool in the days to come. Both will be forgotten. Ecclesiastes 22 through 26 says this, So what do people get in their life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and find satisfaction in your work. I would say this. I would say a lot of us have found joy in food and drink. But most of us have found joy in food and drink because we're not satisfied in our work. And that's why we're addicted and we have problems. You see, we were created to do what God ordained us to do. And most of us, we've lost any love or passion or excitement about our day-to-day tasks. God created us with purpose, for purpose. When I realize that these pleasures are from the hand of God, to enjoy food, to enjoy drink, and to enjoy your work, these are the things that God wants us to enjoy. And yet somewhere along the way, we stopped enjoying the the day-to-day. But they are from him. God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. If that's what God gives to those who please him, then I I would say at some point in our lives, as creatures being created by a good God, we have to go, well, if he gives joy and pleasure to those who please him, I, I should probably start asking the question, how do I please God? Right? I want to please God. I want to please God every day of my life. I want to figure out how to do it. Here we begin to see the author coming to a powerful conclusion that our purpose on earth must revolve around the one who created us. For the one who created us is the one who brings satisfaction and joy. Only joy can be found in the creator. Which brings us to our next big thing. Eternity is real. Life isn't temporary. Like, your, your physical life is temporary, but your soul is eternal. And so the actions that you partake in here and now will affect your eternity. And so we need to start thinking about eternity. Because eternity should impact our day to day. In chapter 3, Solomon, the author, acknowledges that there's a season and a time for everything. But not every season lasts forever, and yet every season creates in us a desire for eternity. You ever go through a bad season, a hard season, and you just go, Lord, I could be with you a little sooner and that'd be all right. But you see, God's trying to refine us. He's trying to teach us. He's trying to grow us. A desire for something more than our daily struggles. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. Usually what, what we know to be sin is things taken out of the right timing. 
We feel empty and void when we engage in premarital sex because that's not where it should be. You know, there's all kinds of things like that. There's a season and a time for everything. But even so, people can't see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. You see, we come and we, we try to understand God and we try to understand his scope. And, and if, we, if we spend too much time trying to figure out the past, present, and the future, we are overwhelmed. And that's why Jesus came and said, take no thought of tomorrow, for tomorrow will take thought of itself. He was trying to release us from those things. He says, my plans are too big for you. I just need you to live in the moment and the day to day, being obedient, living to please me. I'll take care of everything else. I'll bring joy. I'll bring pleasure. I'll bring everything you need. You just need to be focused on pleasing me in the day to day. But we, in our need to overachieve, or at least that's what we disguise it as, we think we've got to figure out the future. We are overwhelmed when we neglect the beauty of our current season because we are so fixed on what is to come. We have let the fear of the future rob us of our present joy. God has created in us a desire for eternity, but not at the expense of the lessons that we need to learn in our day-to-day life. Slow down. I find myself saying that more and more to my daughter who's six. Slow down. I want to be a teenager. I want to do this. I want Slow down, baby girl. And I feel like God says that so much to us. Slow down. Where are you trying to get to? It's like we're running a sprint to die. It's like, let's see who can get, let's see who can die sooner. Run faster, run harder. Let's make a lot of money, be really successful. Then we die. And Solomon basically led that life. He ran full bore his whole life, and then he got to the end of his life, and he goes, man, I'm going to die just like everybody else. And all my hard work is just going to be passed on to somebody else who probably won't appreciate it. And he, and he gets raw, and he gets real in this book with God. He says, all I can conclude is that I need to find joy in the simple things like eating and drinking and just my, my daily job and my daily work. What is the joy of victory without the struggle of the training season? Right? I, I remember two-a-days in football, 90-degree weather, full pads. It was miserable. But more than the hard training days, I remember the victories. I remember being able to rush the field after a, after a, a close game. But that doesn't happen without the hard work of the preseason. Everything we want and everything in life is going to take some hard work. But learn to live in the moment. Hebrews 9.27 says this, And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. We're going to face eternity. We're going to face judgment. And so we need to start reflecting on, on the day-to-day and go, hey, Lord, am I, am I pleasing you today? You see, Satan doesn't want you thinking on the eternal. 
He wants you consumed with the vain pursuits that hold no eternal value. Let me say that again. Satan doesn't want you thinking on the eternal. He wants you consumed with the vain pursuits that hold no eternal worth. But God places eternity in the heart of man so we learn to ask the right questions. For why am I here? As I said, life is meaningless. Death comes for us all. Eternity is real. But God is good. In youth group, we were discussing, I I took the youth group back to the very beginning. And it says, in the beginning, God created. And so the first thing we see, we see that we serve a, a creator God. And then it later says that, it cre- that, that God created man in his image. And so I thought to myself, and I told the youth group, I said, we're created in the image of God. I'm created in the image of God. You're created in the image of God. And so we are to be like God. And I said, well, what does it mean to be like God? Isaiah 6.3 says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so we see that the, the image of God is to be holy. You see, we screwed it up. We sinned. We messed, we messed everything up. But it doesn't change the fact that we are created in the image of God. And it doesn't change the fact that the image of God is holy. And so we are called to be holy. We are called to pursue him. We are called to please him. Ecclesiastes 12, 12 through 14 says this, But my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful for writing books is endless, and much study wears you out. Now I'm going to say, I'm going to preface this. You need to be reading your Bible. And for goodness sakes, it wouldn't hurt you to read a few more books. But the problem is, we Google everything, and we search for answers in all the wrong places, and we find philosophies that fit what we agree with, we diagnose ourselves through a computer and decide that we are filled with disease and we need more drugs. Come on now. Don't overthink it. That is how these foolish philosophies have come about. Because man didn't want to accept the simplicity of following Jesus. We think it has to be more complicated than that. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. No, no, no. It has to be more complicated than that. Not really. Everything that he did from creation to the end of the earth, he is designing and working something for your good and for your best life. Every rule, every command that he established. Here's the crazy thing. It's for your good. Thou shalt not kill. God doesn't want you going around killing each other. Don't commit adultery. He cares about your marriage. Don't steal. He cares about your stuff. It's crazy to think that the creator of all the universe cares about you. So don't get caught up 
and consumed with all these philosophies. That's what he's trying to communicate. Verse 13 in Ecclesiastes 12 says this, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. What is the meaning of life? Why am I here? Lord, what am I supposed to do? Obey his commands. Fear God, because this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret, th- every secret thing, whether good or bad. God wants you to enjoy life to the fullest. But he wants to be first. That's why he says, fear God. And really what that means is, respect me enough to understand that I created you. Respect me enough to understand that the rules that I established are for your good. Respect me enough to know that I gave you the job you have so that you could go to work, so that you could pay your bills, so that you could provide for your family. Respect me enough to know that if I decided to say it stops, it stops. We don't take a breath without him. We don't take a breath without him. He orders our days. And we are foolish to think otherwise. There is nothing more we can do with our life than to bring our creator honor and joy with our lives. You need to start rethinking and reflecting and going, how do I bring God joy? Because this is the goodness of God. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says this, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loves us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. He loved you so much, he sacrificed his own son. And when his son rose from the dead, he gave you a new lease on life. So that you wouldn't have to continue in your sin and your lost nature, but that you could start creating something new in him. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead. He raised us from the dead. Along with Christ and seated us. Here's a good one. This is great. It says, he seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. His desire for you is not just that you would fear him and not just that you would obey his commandments, but he did all that. Why? So that he could introduce you to Jesus and so that Jesus could usher you into eternity in heavenly realms. Like, he wants you to be in heaven with him. So everything he does is for your good. But in order to realize that, you need to come to the end of yourself and say, this is meaningless without him. I've tried everything. I've sought out everything. And, And here's the thing. You can say, well, that's good for you, Jacob, but I just haven't got there yet. And, and my advice here would be, it's better to read and see other people's experiences. You don't need to experience the pain that I've experienced. And any person who's experienced pain would say, man, I just wish people would listen to me so they wouldn't have to go through the same thing. 
especially to the young people, especially to the youth group age kids that I'm working with, take my advice. There's some things you don't want to go through. He wants to seat you in heaven. When I find myself slowing down to rest and reflect, I often find myself overwhelmed with life, death, and eternity. But it is in these moments I begin to speak the name of Jesus. I remember as a child singing the song, Jesus, there is something about that name. 35 years later, my little girl wakes up, nightmares, crying, and she's in bed and she hears my voice, but she won't open her eyes and something's keeping her in that nightmare. And last week, fearful as could be, I laid my hands on her and I said, Jesus, Jesus, there's just something about that name. And as I began to sing that, my little girl calmed down. And all the stress and all the worries of life drifted away and she was able to sleep again. Life is meaningless. Death comes for us all. And eternity is very, very real. But we serve a good God. And his name is Jesus. I'm going to say this, and, and I just I, I really want to say this boldly, and, and I, I, I've wrestled with it a little bit. I'm all for prayer. I'm all for God. But unless they identify the God they are praying to, it doesn't mean anything. I want to hear people say the name of Jesus. Because that's what heals... Vaguely saying God will heal them doesn't mean anything to me. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I say that delicately, but we have to put a name to the God we serve. Otherwise, we just assume that all religions are the same and all roads lead to God. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. We have to speak the name of Jesus. And Colton's going to be coming, and he's going to be singing a song uh, about seasons. And I want you to hear this. I don't know where you're at in life, but the book of Ecclesiastes clearly states that there is a season and a time for everything you experience. And so I don't know where you are today, but maybe you're in a bad season. I'm here to encourage you, a good season's coming. And maybe you're in a good season. I'm here to prepare you, there might be a bad season coming. But God is God of all seasons, and every season is preparing you for eternity with a good God. And so hold fast and know that God has a plan for you, and his plan for you is good. But we must fear him, and we must keep his commandments, and we must put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Bow your heads with me. Dear Lord God, I don't know where people are today, but I pray that they would find you. Lord God, not just a, a, a vague God of the universe, but a personal God in your son, Jesus Christ. 
because it is only in the name of Jesus that we cast out demons. It is only in the name of Jesus that we overcome sickness and disease. It is at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And so, Lord, we give you glory and honor. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray a blessing over every season of life and give us the strength to endure as we strive to bring you glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like the frost on a rose, winter comes for us all. Oh, how nature acquaints us with the nature of patience. Like a seed in the snow, I've been buried to grow. Your promises hold me from seed to sequoia. And I know the winter is longing and reaching the harvest of faith. But I'm waiting for love is even The promise for me like a seed. I believe my season will
season will come, but stay faithful. Stay faithful, find joy in the day-to-day, find what God has for you, but we need to press pause, we need to reflect, and we need to ask, Lord, what would you have for me? What would you have me do? How would you have me live? We need to take some time, and I, I hope you take this with you. I hope you take some time this week to really reflect and maybe press pause this week and say, Lord, as I rest, as I, I, I and, and here's something, maybe you need to take a day off. Maybe you need to take a day off and maybe you need to, you know, turn all the devices off and maybe you just need to rest for a moment and get alone with God and reflect, spend some time in his word, maybe do some journaling, maybe talk to a friend, but just get alone with God and reflect and say, Lord, where do I need to redirect? I think we need to do that every every so often. And the beginning of the year is a good time to take that opportunity. All right, we're going to transition um, gears a little bit here. And so um, we're going to go ahead and say goodbye to our online audience. And so thank you so much for joining us. Um, And then we're going to ask our ushers to come. And uh, as our ushers are coming, um, we're just going to let you make you aware of some other ways that you can support uh, Capital City Church. And so first off, Um, If you haven't made your way back to the information desk, please make sure you make your way back to the information desk today. There is some good um, things that you need to know. Two of those good things are to support us through what's called Kroger Community 